For us, we will be starting a new sermon series next week entitled Rebuilding, which will be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And we are excited about the messages that God has from us from this wonderful Old Testament text. But for today, we're going to look at another verse that changed my life. Now, I know what some of you are probably wondering this morning, right? Because during the summer, we've had different people share a verse that changed their life. You're probably saying, well, Brother Scott, how come you're now sharing the third verse that changed your life? Because I've needed a lot of change through the years, right? I've just needed a lot. God's had to work on me a lot. Some of you are much closer to perfect than me, all right? And so God's really had to work hard on me. And here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that God is a patient God that just doesn't give up on us. Amen. I'm glad God doesn't cancel us when we don't fully meet his expectations like so many people cancel others in our day to day. Well, the verse that we're going to look at this morning is an important verse for many reasons, and it should speak to those both this morning who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and those who do not. So no matter where you find yourself in regards to your relationship with God today, I hope you'll listen to this very important verse. What verse is it? It's Ephesians 2.8. So in whatever form you have your Bible with you today, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at some other verses around this verse as well, but our focal verse will be Ephesians 2.8. And I have no doubt about this. Hear me. I have no doubt about it. If you understand the truth of this verse, it radically changes your life. Let me read the verse and then we'll dig in, all right? For by grace... You've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Now, I would consider this verse a fairly well-known verse. It is at least a verse that I've quoted often in my life and ministry, and one, again, that if truly grasped, changes your life. The best way for us to handle this verse is really going to be to do this. We're going to break it down bit by bit so that we can see how important this single verse is. The first thing I want us to look at is how this verse shows us that we all have a universal need. Now, notice this verse says, you have been saved. The universal need that we all have today is to be saved. Now, as I get ready to look at this point, I want everyone to hang with me because this first point can be a little discouraging, but I don't want anyone to get overwhelmed or discouraged because that's not where we're going to end today. In fact, if you take out your Bible, if you read the whole book of Ephesians, here's what's very clear, that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Christians to encourage them, all right? He wanted to lift them up. He wanted them to be encouraged. However, when you look at this phrase, you've been saved, though, it's going to remind us all of something, that we all at one point of our life needed a reason to seek encouragement. When you hear the phrase, you've been saved, for some of you this morning will say, praise the Lord. Others of you this morning will say to me, saved from what? Well, let's get specific. The universal need that we all have today is to be saved from sin. Now, when I say sin, I know that we live in a day and time where it's not politically correct to talk about sin, right? Not politically correct. I mean, even in the church, people seem to have this tendency to want to shy away from talking about sin, but it's necessary. You know, if you have cancer in your body, just ignoring it doesn't make it better, right? Shake your head, no, it doesn't make it better. I mean, you, if you ignore it, it's not going to you know, do you any good. You have to deal with it if it's ever going to get better. And, and as comfortable as it can be to talk about it, you have to. Well, well, that's true about sin as well. Ignoring its existence will not make it cease to exist. 
When Paul started this section in Ephesians, he was specific about the seriousness of sin. Look at what he wrote at the start of this chapter in verses one through three. He said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, if you look at those verses carefully, we're going to see the seriousness of our sin problem. Here's what most people do. They make the mistake when they think about sin and they see it as a minor deal in their life. They view sin as something that may cause a small inconvenience in your life if they suffer some consequence or maybe for them it's a temporary season of guilt. But many look at sin as something that is no big deal. In fact, some even see sin as enjoyable and they don't see the consequences or at least maybe they don't care. But the seriousness of sin is this. Did you catch this when Paul wrote these words? The seriousness of sin is this, is that sin causes death, okay? When you honestly look at what sin does to a life, it doesn't just cause a a minor hurt or a minor injury or a minor inconvenience. Sin in truth causes death, and death is something that none of us can heal ourselves from. All right, hear that? If sin is just a minor energy, then maybe I can heal myself, but I cannot heal death. You know, those in the medical field all the time, you know what they do? All the time, they're dealing with patients who are sick or injured, trying to keep them from getting worse or from dying. But when someone is truly dead physically, there's nothing a doctor can do, right? I mean, when the body is in a morgue, what can the doctor do for that body? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And for us, sin causes a spiritual death. And because of that, hear me, there is nothing that a person can do to heal themselves. If you found yourself in sin or given into sin willfully, you need to understand that recovery from that is not something that you can do on your own. Death is a serious thing and self-help books or trying harder will never bring a person back from death to life. You hear that? You can't just try harder and say, all of a sudden, oh, I'm dead, now I'm alive. You can't read a self-help book, I'm dead, now I'm alive. No, when you're dead, you're dead, right? You can do nothing for yourself. Now, Paul also lets us know that this death is really a death in our relationship with God when he says this, our condition because of sin is being a children of wrath. In other words, sin puts us in opposition to God. We deserve God to pour out his wrath upon us. Now, that is bad news, is it not? You shake your head this way, all right? Stay with me this morning. We all need to be saved from sin and the death that comes with it. Now, here's what I know. When I mention this, I know there are at least two camps of thought this morning. I know there will be some this morning who clearly say, Brother Scott, you don't have to remind me. In fact, there are some here who in this moment are feeling a little overwhelmed because you didn't need a reminder of your sin. You came here feeling bad about yourself, and this is simply being another reminder of your failure. On the other hand, there are some who are thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I may not be perfect, but I'm pretty good, and I don't think that things are all that bad. They are not least so bad that I would be an enemy of God or where I would expect God's wrath in my life. In truth, for some of you, you look at your life and say, I actually think God's pretty pleased with me. 
Here's the issue for us all. Verse three reminds us that we have all at least at one time been in the same boat. And this is confirmed in Romans three where it says this, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So in reality, no matter how you feel about the sin in your life, we are all in the same boat. And because of sin and the death it brings, we cannot save ourselves. But keep in mind, the text said that you have been saved. Even though our cause looked hopeless because of God, where there was death, there is still the possibility of life. This is when I wish I was in a Pentecostal church because they would all say, amen, brother. Yeah, something like that, right? It appeared hopeless, but it's not because truth, here's what we're going to see. Though it appeared hopeless, there is actually hope. And truthfully, what we see next is that the universal need that we also have, where there's a universal need, but there's also a universal hope. You see, the key for us all and the part that really does change our lives is when we grasp the truth of our hope. And this passage makes it clear that we are saved by grace. You see, our universal hope today is God's grace. And if you don't know what grace is, let's go back to the first part of Ephesians 2 again. And let's read this time starting in verse 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, these verses speak of two great things. God being rich in mercy and God having a great love for us. Those two things help to remind us what grace is, and grace is really this. It's God's undeserved favor on our life. Now, before I get too deep here, let's consider how most of us have been taught, okay? I think you're going to agree with me. Most of us have taught in some way or another that in order for someone to love me or for me to have someone's favor, I have to earn it. Anybody agree with me? I mean, when we were babies, right? When we were real babies, before we even was aware of our world, we learned something. If I smile, what happens? The adults smile back, right? Oh, look, he's so cute, Right? Right? And when we cry, what happens? The adults get cranky. Right? We learn. I, I got to earn this, all right? Unfortunately, all right, for some, all right, we learned early that adults can get really mad. The older we got, people learned that people liked us when we did good things and we'd earn praise when we did those things. But when we didn't do good things, they spoke harsh to us, all right? That, that began in most of us a desire to be praised and so we sought to please. And for some, it caused you to be taken advantage of. Others had experiences where you did what you should have been praised for, and, but you didn't come, all right? And it caused a conflict you, and you began to wonder, what is wrong with me? All right, why didn't the praise come that, that, that I deserved? You, this lack of praise may even have caused you to act inappropriately, seeking praise in other places and from other people. As we became adults, we still operated under this idea that what we do determines someone's love for us. For some, it caused you to spend your entire life seeking to please. It may have resulted in you being a workaholic, trying to get praise from your boss or others in the community who would recognize your work. For others, this may have caused you to do wrong things because it brought you attention. And though it might have been the attention of the wrong people, you still felt like it meant at least someone loved you and someone accepted you. But however it played out in your life, Every one of us, in a way, have been taught that being loved and accepted is based upon my actions. You see, the same philosophy is taught in church. 
when it comes to our relationship with God, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we have been taught that God's acceptance for us is based upon our actions. In fact, I I brought a little example. How many of y'all this morning remember the uh, star sticker in Sunday school? Anybody have it or just me? All right. Was it just my teacher that did this? Right. I mean, you come to Sunday school, right? And they got the chart hanging on the wall. Right? They got your names for all the regular attenders, and then you put the stars up there, right? Oh, they attended. All right, get a star. All right, they brought their Bible. Get a star. They brought their offering. Get a star. They invited a friend or brought a friend. Get a star, right? They prayed this week. Get a star. Read their Bible this week. Get a star, right? The bad pupils, you notice, are at the bottom. I gave myself all stars at the top, right? <laughs> see how that works, right? Y'all, y'all see that over here? I want to see your chart. Y'all did this, right? Now, I, don't, don't hear me, all right? I'm not being critical necessarily of this because the intent behind that is right, right? We're trying to encourage right actions, but unintentionally, we're also teaching people, right? If I don't have enough stars, what? I don't add up. I gotta get more stars if I'm gonna be accepted. Now, here's what we know. We graduated from those, right? But then we got the offering envelopes, right? And those offering envelopes on it had, oh, check, I attended, all right? Brought my Bible, all of that. So we, we at least graduated to the offering envelopes where I then made the check marks there. Y'all know I'm right, okay? And so, so here's what happened, all right? Again, I know all those things, and I, I don't want you to t- judge me wrong, because I know those were all tools just for us really to do self-inflection or self-reflection, right? A- again, but here's what we begin to do. Again, at minimum, we began to judge how good a Christian we are by the checks, if they added up or not, all right? I-, I know at least for many, the conclusion was this. I don't add up. I don't meet the standard to be loved by God. Because we've been raised with this philosophy, what, what I have to, to, that I have to earn love or I, I'm only accepted based upon what I do, all right, we fall into one of two categories. The first being, I can never be good enough for God to love me. Let's just be real honest because I know it's true. There are some here this morning that honestly think that God could never love you or you doubt that you are good enough for God to love you. Maybe in your past, there's what you consider a big sin. Maybe you have a past filled with drugs and alcohol and you think God could never love me because of the things I've done. Or maybe there's some kind of sexual sin that you are ashamed of. Maybe one you've never even told others about and you think that God could never love you because of your past. Maybe for you, it's not what is in your mind a big sin, but it's just that continual little things that you fail to do. And so you think my life doesn't add up so God could never love me. I mean, I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't sing loud enough at church. I don't give enough. I don't love enough. And because this is your attitude, some of you are here this morning, but, but honestly, you're more miserable than anything because you don't think God could ever truly love you, even though you're here today looking for hope. You're looking for emptiness in your life to go away. You're looking for the guilt to disappear. You are longing to be loved by God, even though it seems impossible. I, I will say it again in a moment, but I'm going to say it to people in this group right now that God loves you. God's love for you is not based upon what you have or you haven't done because God is rich in mercy and he has a great love for you. And we're even told this in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, he was shouting, I love you no matter what you've done. That's what God is saying to you. If you think God cannot love you because of what you've done, look to the cross because it shouts God's love for you. 
Now, in the other group are those who think because you feel you must earn God's love and approval, you're doing everything you can to earn God's love. If you're asked to serve on a team at church, you're never going to dream of saying no because you wouldn't want to let God down. I mean, you go overboard to help others and make others feel happy because you believe that if you make others happy, it's going to make God happy. If there's a call to give something, you make sure to not only get what you asked for, but you're going to try to make yours the best, right? Because you want to make sure that God is happy and he accepts your gift. You might even in your home have the Ten Commandments, all right, posted in a prominent spot on your wall because you want to read them every day because you want to, don't, you want to make sure you don't miss one, right? Because if, 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 if I miss one of these and I break one of these today, I'm going to be in trouble. So I want to make sure it's hung in a spot where I can read it every day and be reminded what I need to do, right? Don't raise your hand if that's you, right? You can do your best to be the most moral person that you can because you think God's going to smile at you. Now, I may not have described you, but whatever it looks like for you, there are many here today that believe that God will only love you and accept you if you do the right things. Now, here is the problem with this group. You realize that you cannot do everything you think you need to do to please God, and you still live wondering this. Even though you've done everything, you try your hardest, all right? You wonder if God loves you. Or maybe you made a mistake along the way, and you feel like you disappointed God, and now you wonder this. Does God still love me? It wasn't that God couldn't or didn't love you, but because you failed, you wondered, does he still love you? For some of you, you're in this category. You find yourself on a continuous roller coaster. Some days you feel like God loves you because you're having a good day, and the other day you feel like God doesn't love you because you're having a a bad day. In fact, for you, here's what has happened for some of you. You've probably prayed the sinner's prayer a thousand times in your life, right? Because you think you failed God and you wondered, have I lost my salvation? Am I still saved? And so you prayed the sinner's prayer just to make sure. My guess is this morning there are more in this category than we'd like to think, but many this morning are truly wondering where you stand with God because you feel like you have to earn God's love and acceptance. Let me repeat what I said a few minutes ago. God's love for you is not based upon what you have or haven't done. God is rich in mercy and has a great love for you, and his love for you is based upon his character and who he is, not you. In fact, what God says to us is the opposite of work harder to earn my love. Jesus said these words to all of us that we need to hear in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, if you're hearing my voice today and you're tired from trying to earn God's love and acceptance, I encourage you to stop because God wants to offer you rest for your soul, not a burden. If you are tired from trying to earn God's love, I want you to listen to the truth of this message that God's grace is what you need, not a mentality that says you have to work harder for God to love you. If you keep trying to earn God's love, there will become a point where you wear out from exhaustion and you will walk away from God saying this, I am tired of trying. Hear me this morning telling you the truth that our universal hope is God's grace. So we have a universal need to be saved from sin. We have a universal hope, God's grace. And so now we need to consider our universal struggle. If our hope today is in God's grace, then all we need to do is just sit back and not worry, right? I mean, God loves me no matter what, correct? God's love for us is not in question. However, here's what we all know in life. It's just because someone loves us doesn't mean that person will love us back, right? 
If you don't believe me, ask any middle school boy. <laughs> Y'all with me, right? Okay, right? As it is, right? The same for God's love. Just because he loves us doesn't mean we love him in return. However, the Bible tells us how we can know that we are in a true relationship with God. It makes it clear how we can know that we have received God's grace. Let's read the first part of our verse today again in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. What this makes clear is that by God's grace we are saved from sin through our faith in Jesus Christ. See, however, here's our universal struggle. Our universal struggle is having faith. When I say that, what I mean is we all struggle with trusting in what Jesus has done for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection instead of relying on ourselves. It's why this verse ends this way, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. You see, I would say for many listening to me today, if not most, you struggle with placing your faith in Jesus Christ or resting in your faith in Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, it is so ingrained in us that we have to earn love or approval that it's hard for us to simply place faith in Jesus and be saved and then have the assurance of that salvation when God wants us to rest in our faith in Jesus Christ. See, as we consider what faith is, let me first say this, you ready? Faith, right? Faith is not trusting in something blindly. So many people struggle to have faith because they think they cannot know there is a God. Because they don't see God standing in front of them, they don't think they can believe. And for some people telling them, you know, to have faith in God, it's, it's, it's really a struggle because they, I, I don't see him. They believe someone is asking them to trust in something that they cannot know. Now, I'm here to say that I have not placed my faith in something I cannot know. I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ because, ready, I know I can trust him. I know that he is real. I know that he wants the best for me. I may not have been there when D Jesus died on the cross to watch him suffer for me. I may not have been there when he rose from the grave so that I could look and see the empty tomb, but that does not mean that I cannot know and experience the truth of what Jesus did. I can know and experience the truth of what he did for me. I can look first around the world and I can see the world that God has created and know that there is a God. Then God has given me his word that records his love for me and that records what he has done for me so I can read it and I can discover God and I can discover what Jesus Christ has done for me. God has then given his Holy Spirit so that I can experience his presence and work in my life. And as I seek God, he makes clear his presence and his purpose for my life. That is something that's available to everyone. See, having faith truly is not trusting something blindly, but trusting in what is known to be true. You see, as God revealed his truth to me, there became a point that I had to decide I'm going to have faith in what God has done for me through Jesus Christ or not. And when I made that decision to place my faith in Jesus Christ, what I knew to be true, it was life-changing. And that same change is available to all who will by faith trust in Jesus Christ. Now, recently, we got an above-ground pool at our house. So it's been fun as we begin to share that pool with others. Now, one of those individuals that we uh, have uh, got to share that pool with is our granddaughter, Juliet. I'm a grandfather. Did y'all know that? Okay. Now, being so young, she doesn't know yet how to really swim by herself. Therefore, the first time she got in the pool, it was obviously a little scary for her, especially a new, unfamiliar pool. However, if you all don't know this, let me go ahead and tell you right now, she loves her Mimi. 
All right. And so hanging with her Mimi is one of her favorite things. So if she was going to swim, she wanted her Mimi, right. She was obviously a little nervous at first, but eventually she got in the water having faith in her Mimi, right. Now, why did she place her faith in Mimi? Because Mimi had proven herself to be trustworthy. Juliet didn't blindly get into that pool. She, with a childlike faith, eventually got in the pool, hanging on to her Mimi, trusting that her Mimi would take care of her. And because Juliet knows her Mimi and because of her past experiences with Mimi, she placed her faith in Mimi and got in the pool. It wasn't a blind leap for her. Likewise, folks, Christian faith is not trusting in something blindly. Do you hear me? But ultimately it is this. Faith is trusting Jesus fully with your life. You see, as I've said, faith is not blindly believing something. However, we have to be careful when we talk about faith to not make it something that's just an intellectual acknowledgement of the truths of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote this, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. He wrote those words in his discussion that faith has an action component. Faith is more than just the acknowledgement of facts. I mean, the demons know that God is real. The demons know that Jesus died and rose again. The demons know many things. However, the demons don't worship Jesus. There's a word that some use here to talk about what one must do to have a genuine faith, and that word is volition. Y'all like that word, volition? Shake it. All right. Volition simply means this. It's an act of making a choice or decision. In other words, you do something by your choice. Not something forced upon you. You, by your own volition, by your own choice, you make a decision. A person can acknowledge the truth about Jesus, but never do anything about it. One doesn't have faith just because you say you know what Jesus did for you. Faith is when you make a decision and act upon that knowledge and you trust your life to Jesus. All right, think about this stool. All right? Sturdy stool, right? Sturdy stool. I believe that stool is going to hold me up. All right? Stool, you're sturdy. You're strong. I, I, I believe in you. I trust in you, right? Well, let me ask you that, okay? What I just said, do I have faith in this stool? Do I have faith in this stool? No! I, I've told you I have faith, but I, at least I have, well, maybe I should re-ask that, all right? Have I placed my faith in that stool? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Is that better? I don't want somebody to feel bad because y'all are probably right, right? I just ask it wrongly. Have I placed my faith in that stool? Stool, I know you can hold me. I believe in you, stool. You got it, right? When do I place my faith in that stool? Now, this is faith, all right? By my own volition, I chose to sit down. And it feels good, right? I'm tired this morning, right? feels good, right? But now I put faith in that stool because I acted upon that, right? If I look at that stool and just have a conversation, stool, you're going to hold me. I believe in you, stool. It's no different than some people looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again. I know that you love me. For some people, it's the same conversation because they know, all right, in who Jesus is. They know what he's done, but here's what they have not done, all right? They've never, by their own volition, chose to say, Jesus, I trust my life in you. And there has to be a point where you make that decision to say, it's not my intellectual consent anymore. It's my life. Lord, I trust it all to you. Now, how do you know if you've done that? Let me ask you, are you resting in Jesus today?
Some say, I've never said a sinner's prayer. Are you aware that nowhere in the Bible do you find a magic prayer that you pray that saves you? Are you aware of that? Nowhere to be found. Now, I'm not saying that people who pray to sinner's prayer are not saved, but I'm also not saying that everyone who's prayed a sinner's prayer is saved. For some, a sinner's prayer is no more than another attempt to personally earn salvation, while others, it was a genuine decision to follow Christ. And here's what makes the difference. Are you trusting your life to Jesus right now? Do you hear the way I'm asking that question? Have you trusted your life to Jesus right now? That's important because there might be even some of you who say, you know what? I don't, I don't even remember clearly the moment I trusted my life to Jesus. So I don't even know if I'm saved. Listen, if that's some of you today, I want you to rest in Jesus if you're trusting your life to him today. Because even if you can't remember with clarity the moment you gave your life to Jesus, the important thing today that you have trusted in him and you're living in that trust today. Are y'all with me? Now, if I go back to Juliet in the pool, I can tell you that we bought for Juliet one of those things called a puddle jumper. Is that right? Y'all know what a puddle jumper is? If you don't know what a puddle jumper is, the best way for me to explain it to you, it's a life jacket with floaties attached. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about now? Have y'all seen them? Life jacket, floaty on the arms. All right. It's a combination and it's designed for young children to be able to swim on their own without drowning. Now, we put that on her the first time she got in the pool, but she didn't trust it. So she always had Mimi by her side or an adult right by her side, right? Because of that, she wasn't fully able to enjoy the pool experience. But you know what happened? As we continued to work with her and help her understand what was available to her, there became a point that she was convinced that the puddle jumper would keep her afloat without help. So you know what she did? She made a choice. Out of her own volition, she decided she didn't need anyone to hold on to her anymore, and she chose to trust the puddle jumper and keep her afloat to save her from drowning, so to speak, if that's the word you want to use, all right? So now guess what? You want to know what? She rests in that puddle jumper, and she enjoys the full pool experience. She doesn't need anybody to hold on to her. She gets into the middle pool. She twirls in the pool. It's cool. Like, are you dancing, Juliet, in the pool? What are you doing, right? She swims laps in the pool. Oh, oh, you're wearing me out, girl. Slow down, right? She chases after the ball. Occasionally, she even likes to uh, you know, sneak up on Pappy and splash him, <laughs> right? Because now, because she's trusted in that, she rests in that, she gets to enjoy that, all right? Now, I, hear, hear, hear me. I, I know that, 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 that analogy is not completely perfect, Okay. But faith is when you get to the point that you fully trust in Jesus with your life and you rest in that. When to put aside what you've done or haven't done or attempted to do and simply say, I trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to take care of my sin problem and give me the gift of eternal life and then live in the assurance of what he has done for you. Now, why is placing your faith in Jesus so important for a person to do? Well, the first answer should be obvious. If there's nothing more important than eternal life, all right, or our eternal destiny. And since faith in Jesus is the only way to move from death to life, since it's the only way to have eternal life, there's nothing more important than the decision that you can have of placing your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? And listen, and since no one knows where we'll have one more day of life, there's no more important decision a person is going to make today than giving your life to Jesus, right? 
Now, when I understand faith from the perspective of this verse in Ephesians 2.8, it changed my life because not only did it give me eternal life, it gave me so much more. When you fully trust in Jesus, you can rest in his love for you. You can stop worrying about whether God loves you or not. You can rest in his love for you. If you are here this morning and doubt God's love for you because of something in your past, I want you to know that because of God's grace, you don't have to doubt this love. You can rest in his love if you will accept it by faith. Also, when we fully trust in Jesus by faith, you can stop wondering whether salvation is secure. If you believe that you have to work to earn God's love, then that means when you fail, you surely feel like you've lost God's love and your salvation. But when you understand this grace and you place your faith in Jesus, that goes out the door. I don't ever have to doubt my salvation because my salvation rests solely on what Jesus did and not what I did other than placing my faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? That same true is true for anyone here who understands Ephesians 2.8. If you fully trust in Jesus, you can rest assured that your salvation is secured. Now, one final result, and I'm gonna close. I'm gonna try to make this quick. I debated whether I even should add this. I started to cut it out. And I said, I at least need to mention it because I don't want you to leave here with any misunderstanding. Because when you place your faith in Jesus as described here in Ephesians 2.8, here's what it does. It frees you to fulfill God's purpose for your life with peace and joy. Look at the following two verses, and I'll start back at verse eight. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, verse nine reiterates that my salvation is not based upon my effort, I cannot brag about what I've done and say God loves me and accepts me because what I've done, faith in Jesus is my plea. However, when I place my faith in Jesus, I find joy and freedom that allows me to live out his will and complete the works that God has for my life, that he has had for my life from the very beginning. I'm gonna state it this way. Salvation is not a result of works but works are a result of salvation. That's probably another whole sermon, right? <laughs> in fact, you can typically tell those who have genuinely experienced salvation in Jesus, they work for the Lord with a different attitude. They serve with a joy and peace, knowing that they are not trying to earn their salvation. They are simply expressing their love for the one who gave them life and are living for him in peace. Let me simply ask this morning, are you living in a faith that is fully trusting in Jesus? If not, I pray today is the day that you trust your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you came feeling unworthy and unlovable. If so, I hope you now understand that because of God's love, he loves you and wants you to be saved from sin so that you can live freely for him. Also today, if you're here as a believer, but you've lived in doubt about where you currently stand with God, I hope today you know that you don't have to doubt, but you can be assured of where you stand with God because of his grace. In fact, my prayer for all who hear me today is that you'd be able to rest in the peace that God wants to give you through Jesus Christ and then fulfill his plans that he has for you in your life, all right? Because that's where you're gonna find peace and joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this verse, this verse that I know that changed my life, a verse that gave me peace, a verse that gave me hope, a verse that gave me assurance, a verse that gave me purpose. And Father, today I pray for all who are here today and 
those even listening maybe online that father today, they would know the truth of this life or this verse and that they too would experience life change. We thank you that you're a God who's rich in mercy and love for us. And so father, during this time of invitation, I pray that it's poured down. And if there's one here today that doesn't know that, they've never accepted your love, they've never trusted in you by faith, I pray today is the day. Or if there's some here today who's walking in faith, but they've still had those lingering doubts, I pray today is the day they put those doubts aside, understanding that again, you love them richly, you love them fully. So bless this invitation, God, I know you wanna work in hearts. I pray simply, Father, that we'll respond to you in Jesus' name, amen.